Oi, oi, I'm Jimmy Bullard and this is me old muck of Venus. We're back together, son. How are you? Hi, Bully. Great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. This episode is sponsored by the captain, Leia Hunt. To be more like Leia, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler show, become an official sponsor, get bonus content and grow the show today. You're listening to The Marla Show It isn't on the radio It's a podcast, fool You listen anywhere you go The Joe Marla Show Hello and welcome to our show I'm Joe Marla and this, who's about to speak is going to be Tom Fordyce, I hope. Well, hello, Joe, and a very happy new year to you. Now, something has happened since we last spoke. You know, that funny period between Boxing Day and New Year where you lose track of what day it is and what date it is, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's an awful period, isn't it? You just don't know what to do with yourself. You don't know what to do with yourself. What I was doing with myself, Joe, was round my little brothers, uh, sitting at the kitchen table. My dad was there with his newspaper and his cup of tea because that's what he likes to do. And he looked up at me from his newspaper and he said... Your mate Joe's in trouble. Yeah, you're right, uh, Tom. I've fucked it all up again. I'm really sorry to to Jake Heenan and and his family, the guy I insulted uh, or tried to insult, and also to my teammates and to the club because they must really now be at a point where they're like, here we go again. And I, guess, and I guess to you, Tom, as well, and, and people like yourself. There's not, there's not many of you I consider friends that I have a close thing, but I've put you guys in a position again to go, oh, we've got to try and defend that he's just not an absolute helmet. He's just a bit of a helmet. So, yeah, I'm sorry for all the shit that I've, I've caused again. At what point do you go... Uh, yeah you can say sorry mate but just stop fucking doing it i guess this is the point is it this might well be the point joe but there'll be people listen to this who know what you're referring to there'll be people who aren't exactly sure so just tell us from your perspective exactly what happened um from my perspective um i ended up insulting another player's mother in a really unimaginative pretty shit like like, I'm pretty gutted actually because I'm much better at that when it comes to a bit of chat or a bit of sledging I'm usually better than just calling someone's mum a whore I mean it was it was he caught me off guard because we were walking over to this uh, scrum and he said mate you can't be kicking me at the breakdown I went I didn't fucking kick you you were lying on my legs and I pushed you off me he went and oh that was it and that was it I went and to be honest with you I've got no fucking idea who you are so again there was there was the sort of shit level of band that I'd started at and then he replied with you're better than that brother you're better than that brother and I was like oh fuck he's got me here I know I'm better than that but because he'd mentioned the word brother 
for some reason I went down the family route and I went I'm clearly not your brother because what I wouldn't be related was it I, I, we can't be related from the same woman because your mum's a whore which is just fucking shit like just a shit a slur sledge whatever you call it um a little bit like if someone tells you to shut up and you've got nothing to say or something and you go no you shut up like and they're like oh good comeback mate yeah brilliant i was like oh fuck i've said that and then as we were forming up so he didn't respond to that and i thought oh okay that's not really affected anything and then we're forming up the scrum and then yan thomas their prop the other side said what did you just say to him i said oh i called his mum a whore and then fuck yeah and he's a big like unit walking over straight away grabs me by the collar and it all kicks off and then i'm like and then uh, the the lad heenan that I'd, I'd uh said it to in the first place then sort of came in and his sort of face and his eyes and reaction was like oh fucking hell like this is kicked off how why is it kicked off so hard you know usually stuff like this is said this is the norm like this is a norm now that's not that may not be an excuse but it's kind of a bit of a reason that you go well it's the norm it's normalized so any sort of chat is his thing but um it all kicked off and then we carried on with the game and so i came off and then a couple of the boys were like oh my god what did you say to him that it just kicked off i've never seen it kick off so hard and i said what i said and they were like oh and that and they were kind of all a bit like what and that was the reaction and then it sort of started to dawn on me. I went, maybe I've put my foot in it somehow here. Maybe maybe something else is going on behind behind the scenes here. Did you know his mum was ill? Mate, I had absolutely no idea. There's no way there's no well, there's no way I could have, first off. And there's no way I do that sort of level of research going into a game. It was just I guess a realisation of actually this is why you shouldn't make jokes or attempt to make sledges or slurs against family members or people's family members because ultimately you've got no knowledge of what is going on. So after I got his number and reached out and apologised and said, look, I've got no idea why you reacted the way you did. Clearly I've put my foot in it, but I'm sorry. It was a shit attempt at a, a wind-up. And sorry, mate. And he reached back he reached out and explained his background we then exchanged some messages about our own backgrounds which i won't i won't go into because that's his private stuff to talk about do you think right so i i feel i've got to know you well over the past two years joe and um you're a big boy you don't need anyone to defend you but if i'm occasionally in company and someone goes and it's quite rare but it occasionally happens someone goes isn't he a bellend and I'll try and put them right or based on the Joe that I know. Do you think, right, now you have always told me that one of the reasons that you try and wind players up is because you're not very good at your job. Now, I have seen you play, how many of your England caps did I see? I must have seen as a minimum half of your England caps. I've seen you play for Quinns on a few occasions. And admittedly, you do have the strangest run of any adult human male that I've ever seen. Oh, right. But it's a knee lift issue. We've talked about it before. But I would say 
that you can definitely play rugby? And is there a possibility that actually you are good enough to play rugby without necessarily needing to do the shit housing? I think ultimately it comes down to a frame of mind, a lack of... So if we're talking rugby specific, which of course we are, it comes down to a frame of mind, a focus, a a concentration on the job in hand. And most of the time that I've gone outside of the job in hand or found myself trying to wind people up or just doing unnecessary shit is either on the basis of even is either on the back of not playing particularly well so therefore going oh I'm not playing well so I'll try and affect the game any other way because I don't actually back my ability to try and get back playing do you know what I mean oh, I'll just go down that sort of shithouse wind up the opposition rather than actually trying to focus on I guess it maybe it's a part of ego and embarrassment that if I did try and if <laughs> fucking hell Tom you caught me off guard here haven't you trying to work this one out like I would I would often I would often hide rather than trying to improve or put my head above the parapet for the team I would often hide and because I would be too scared to get melted in a tackle or you're better off not putting yourself out there to make a mistake so you just don't make any mistakes so then when that sort of stuff would would be going badly, I'd sort of go to the whole oh the fake tough guy shit and try and affect a game. I don't know how to really word with it. I don't know. I think you're right. It it does play a part of it. When I when I concentrate on just the rugby and enjoying that, like there's there's hardly like the the chat between players or me and oppositions or between my own players tends to be on the friendly side or the the enjoyable side more of a enjoying the game side of it rather than actually a bit nastier trying to fucking get one over the opposition and I guess of late I haven't been playing particularly well I haven't really been as focused as I should be and I just went back to those sort of older ways here's another thought I had right when I think about the games that I've watched you in when you've played at your best the things that I've noticed are when I think you've had a a great game it's because you scrummaged unbelievably well or you've just seemed to do this thing that doesn't really work for the man with the aforementioned terrible knee lift where you just seem to have been in the right place at all the right time doing your crazy trademark chop tackle when I've seen you doing the shit housing, I've got to be honest, from my perspective, watching you, it looks like you're not always conscious of where the line is and sometimes you step over it. Like, it didn't really work with Alan Wynn because he's quite calm and he just stood there and looked at you like you were being yeah. a bellend. He didn't try and start a fight no. with you. It obviously hasn't worked particularly well <laughs> this last instance. So my suggestion would be that actually you're quite good as a rugby player and you know on this podcast over the last two and a half years when we're chatting to all these different people that we've never met before and we've learned so much about different careers and ways of looking at the world that maybe we think about that in terms of you on the rugby field and you're not the same person as you were before we did the podcast and your view of the world has changed because the world has changed and that maybe all the 
chat on the field and the shit housing that belongs in the past as well I think you're right I've I've been back and forth about the whole situation of oh it goes on all the time you should hear some of the stuff all this lot what's the big thing and would there be a hoo-ha if his mum wasn't in hospital probably not but actually we always have a choice don't we you have a choice whether you can actually use this for good regardless of what the RFU have done in terms of banning or setting the sample and it's about what can I do to make this be useful and, and good for me moving forward and I guess it is a realisation that I haven't got long actually being able to play the game left so I want to use whatever time I have left at the club to actually embrace it and, and play the game like like you said and I guess you catching me off guard and giving me that sort of advice <laughs> means a lot to me because I say it to Daisy and it was the same with like I listen to people that I love and the people that are close to me because the not the noise outside of that they don't really know me and I don't know them so I wouldn't try and judge their lives or judge them or try and give them advice based on not knowing them but if my wife turned around and says you're being a bell end do something about it I'll be like right fuck I need to listen to this because I trust your view and I trust your her opinion on it but she turned around to me after she said fucking hell you're an idiot aren't you you're just a moron. I went, what do you mean? I thought you meant to defend me. And she went, why am I defending you? Why, like, if you want to... That's not even a funny attempt. Like, it's shit. And I went, yeah, you're right, it is shit. And then when I said, oh, his, apparently his mum's in hospital, she went, fucking hell. Like, you couldn't even double down even worse on that. She went, why don't you just stop doing it? Or if you feel the need to do it, just don't bring family members into it. You never know what's going on in people's lives. And just because it doesn't affect you on the pitch doesn't mean it's not going to affect other people. Just fucking get on with it. And I was sitting there like, oh my God, that naughty schoolboy at the back of the thing. And I went, yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely spot on. And I I value your opinion too that you've just said. And actually, why don't you just enjoy the game for what it is for how long I've got left on it? Be remembered, Joe, for having bad haircuts playing for England. Right, okay. A beard to hide your lack of a chin. Excellent. An extraordinarily low knee lift. Not sure where this uh, is going. An occasionally offensive chop tackle. Excellent. And some superb scrummaging that's very hard for people who haven't played prop to truly appreciate. Brilliant. What's the saying? Giveth with one, taketh with a hundred. Fucking hell. No, you bang on. I. It was awful. To sum it all up, really, thank you for your advice. And, you know, I'm just, I can sleep because I upset Jake, um, not intentionally in terms of his background with his mum. I offered my apology, he accepted it, we had a good chat about it, and we can move on. Everyone else who got offended on that particular point on his behalf that's they're entitled to do so and they're entitled to share their feelings um absolutely but i will live and learn thanks mate joe it's my pleasure should we get a guest on joe after all that fuck it i don't can we double check whether they want to come on <laughs> like let's just <laughs> can we get steve and ryan to just completely vet them and go actually 
he's not that big a bell end. He's just half a bell end. But which we're talking about you here, Tom. <laughs> and he's going to become a slightly smaller bell end with every minute that you listen to this guest. Hello, I'm George Groves, former world champion. So I'm starting a club. Are you? Hear me out, right? It's the George Groves Boxing Club, right? It's every Wednesday. If you listen, you're in. Derek Tesoro has them play. Um, yeah, musical you know, chairs. Musical chairs. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. It's everything you've ever wanted to know about sparring, about weigh-ins, about promoters, contracts, ring walks, skipping the lot. And I've had examples where blood has splattered onto my notes at ringside. Calling out Lennox Lewis on Lennox. the podcast. So have you got any feature ideas for this or are you just winging it? Raging Fall, Million Dollar Maybe, Fantastic Mr. Box. And you're telling me if this works, if this works, you won't have to get back in the ring. The comeback is off. Exactly. He dropped me, but I've never been hit like in my life. Christ on me, it was a tremendous punch. The George Groves Boxing Club, Series 1, out now. Our guest today is Nell, and she is an A&E worker. Welcome, Nell. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hello, Nell. Don't <laughs> forget to say hello to our guest. Oh, I'm the shit one, am I? Oh. I'm the shit one. You're just bigging up that Nell's going to be better than me, and then... I was slightly caught by your intonation on A&E. Rather than saying A&E worker, you went A&E worker. Why? A&E worker. A&E worker. A&E worker. A&E worker. What am I saying? <laughs> Have I said your job title wrong? I don't know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happening. A&E worker. Okay. Now is an accident and emergency. Pause. Worker. Nice. Okay. Better? <laughs> My first question to you is, in fact, I've already done some research that you haven't had breakfast because in the sound check you said I haven't had breakfast. No. And why haven't you had breakfast? So I finished work at 7am. <laughs> so what time did you start? 7pm last night. You did a 12-hour shift? Yeah. On an A&E ward? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a robot. <laughs> I feel and slightly ashamed, Joe. Yeah, what so doing. do I. Surely you, you're fueled on coffee. You're just... Pretty much. Right, run on caffeine, yeah. Right, what actually is an A&E worker? What is, what is your role that you do? So, my role as an A&E sister. Sister? Yeah. Okay. I'm basically one of the senior A&E staff members, nurses in the department. Um, but there are loads of us that class as A&E workers. So from the cleaner right up to the matron and everybody in between. So if we're looking at it as a pyramid, what where does the si sister sit on that then? So I suppose you've got the matron, then you've got senior sisters that do a lot of kind of the background office work. Then you've got the sisters that kind of run the department on the shop floor, as we call it. Um, then you've got... It's a, very strange, it's a very strange shop floor. I don't know why we call it that, but yeah, we do call it the shop floor. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, then you've got your nurses who look after different areas of A&E, because there's lots of different areas of A&E. Then you've got your healthcare assistants. Now, I've got a question. If Joe were to have presented himself last night on your shift, Joe um, had got a saucepan stuck on his head. 
because what he'd done is he was going through the saucepans in his house and he was like, which one fits on my head? And he chose one that seemed to fit on his head, but he had to really squeeze it on. As a result, the saucepan is stuck on his head. He's come into your A&E department. Who does he see? So you'll initially see a triage nurse and they'll go, yep, that's stuck. Well done. Right. Congratulations. <laughs> as dry as that. Yeah, Pretty I'd much, like that. Yeah. yeah, well done, mate. Um, they'll see if they can get it off. If they can't. So they're allowed to do, like a triage nurse is allowed to... Yeah, they'll definitely give it like They're qualified to do something to well, the saucepan a little bit. If you're still talking and breathing, then yeah, absolutely. Okay, they're trying to yank, they're trying <laughs> we'll yank try that off. Yank it up. Yeah. Get some soap. But it's really stuck, you see. Right. Um, and it's quite painful now. I'm starting to get real bad headaches. It, it's almost as if it's, it's closing in on me, that my head is getting too hot, so it's expanding. So the heat of your head isn't <laughs> heating up the saucepan, expanding the saucepan, therefore you can take the saucepan off. You've oh, got yeah. some sort of wall of temperature between your hot head and the cold saucepan. Yes, because this saucepan had uh, a silicon uh, <laughs> yeah. wrap around it that it stops the heat getting <laughs> through. So there's the intricacies of my saucepan. Um, then where do I go from the triage nurse? Back to the waiting area? I think the whole department would probably come and look at that. <laughs> You've got a saucepan right. stick on your There's head. me waiting for a professional answer. It's like, no. Here, Steve, come have a look at this one. This prat's got a bloody saucepan stuck on his head. Word would get round quickly. <laughs> oh, right. So yeah. there's the ins and outs of the A&E then. Oh, come on, let's have a gander at this one. <laughs> oh, I like that. Have you been to A&E, Joe? Yeah, loads of times. Talk me through the incidences. Um... When I was about, I think, five, I tried IDing on paracetamol. Ooh. I mean, it's quite young, isn't it, to consider that? But yeah. And I don't think it was a conscious effort to think. It's just I found loads of these paracetamol pills at home and just chucked them down my throat. A bit weird like that. And so I got taken to hospital. And within a couple of hours of whatever they did to me, I was then running around the ward like trying to grab fish out of one of these <laughs> fish tanks and, like, and they turn the nurses or the charge nurses or the sisters whatever they were like mm, I think he's alright to go home now <laughs> like, he'll be fine so that was my first sort of A&E I've been back and forth since but not really for me I've been with the kids a couple of times there's been one where I think was it we only had Jasper I think we only had, it was our first kid and it was like his first proper illness we thought he was like we we're like oh god we don't know he's always rolling back he's really thinking. we were new parents we were shitting ourselves took him down there and he's like two o'clock in the morning we're fucking waiting there hours we'll get to that <laughs> um hours and then it got like two or three hours past no one had really come and seen us and the and he'd semi fallen asleep on the lap and we were watching tv in the kids section or whatever and then me and Dave just turned around and said, he looks all right now. <laughs> Normally happens. <laughs> Should we just leave? And we're like, yeah, cool. So then we just left. That was our last A&E thing. Um, what about you? You go to A&E a lot? I've had a few, I think, now down the years. And whenever I've gone to A&E, like sometimes you walk into A&E, don't you? Because you can walk in and you always have the slight suspicion that you'd be better off crawling in. <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> by the sounds of it you're better off whatever the injury go back put a saucepan on your head yeah. and you're getting seen straight away by everyone do you get people who, who come in because pain is very difficult for how can I phrase this better it's subjective 
pain is subjective. So how do you judge when someone comes into A&E, you might have Joe with the saucepan stuck on his head and he's screaming, screaming about the saucepan on his head. Well, I've gone in with a saucepan on my head. I'm quite stoic about it. So we'd probably be more concerned about the people that sit there in silence. Oh. That's, that's generally the people you worry about. If people are screaming and shouting and ranting and raving, you have to take everyone's pain, obviously, seriously, but... It is the quiet ones that we do get concerned about, the ones that sit there, little little old ladies in the corner. Oh. And then you get to them, you're like, oh, you're really bloody ill. So, yeah, well, come on. I guess if you've you got in. the energy to shout and scream, it's kind of like, mm. Especially if you're screaming, like, I can't breathe, is the general one that you have. <laughs> and I'm like, well. I can't fucking <laughs> breathe. Well, you're fucking breathing <laughs> enough to shout at me to sit down. Fuck, I'd make a great sister. Talk me through your typical night shift that do you just work night shifts or do you do pretty much at the moment yeah <gasps> what does that do to your whole oh. lifestyle then uh it just i, I don't have one <laughs> just <laughs> go to work sleep walk the dog <laughs> go back to work um it, it, it is does take its toll eventually you do have to have a break every now and again from nights and go on to days because your sleep pattern messes up you're just irritable constantly you don't know what to eat either do you no Depending on how busy the department is, depends on when you can eat or drink. What is the busiest single time for you? Time of the week, day of the week? Mondays. Mondays? I would have had Saturday nights down. Yeah. Any night of the week. It doesn't have to be a weekend when people go out on the piss. It's any night of the week now. Any time of day now. The drunken groups must be like some of the toughest to deal with, though. It must be really hard trying to get through to them to get some sense into There's them. There's two, two types of drunk people. There's the shouty, sweary, can't get through to them, repeating yourself constantly, won't sit down, won't listen to you, won't let you do anything, wandering around the department, wandering to other patients' <laughs> cubicles, having a chat with them, or they'll find another drunk patient in the department to, you know, befriend. Go and, for a drink together. Basically, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then there's the ones that just pass out and sleep. <laughs> They're the ones you worry about. <laughs> right. You keep checking on them every now and again. What about the smallest thing you've ever seen coming? Oh, okay, let me rephrase <laughs> Like, is anyone, do you get a lot of hypochondriacs come in that are like, oh my God, I'm, I'm dying, my knees are melting, my fingers are uh, turned into lobster claws or something. What's the smallest? Do you get quite a lot where people actually, you're like, I've uh, cut my finger on a piece of cardboard. Do you, yeah. You get that a lot, do you? Uh, uh, yeah, you do get it. I've had someone come in with a paper cut before. What? Okay. How have you reacted to that? <laughs> I think I walked out, gave them a plaster and went, there you go. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> so you were professional about it? Absolutely, yeah. There was no part of you that wanted to go, are you fucking kidding me? No. You've come in with a paper cut, you tit. Well, that's what... You think, but <laughs> you wouldn't say it. You've got to be the ultra-professional. Absolutely, yeah. What other examples are there of meaningless injuries where people are presented at any? I had someone that came in because it had come through as they'd dropped a printer on their hand. So I was thinking like, oh, you know, like they've moved like a big industrial printer and mm. no, just like a little desk one. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, right, can you move it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it's a bit sore. <laughs> 
Can I have an x-ray? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're all out of x-rays Absolutely today. not, no. <laughs> I was like, you, you, I think you'll be fine. The thing is, Joe, that person, because A&E is not a fun place to wait, mm. is it? No. So if your hand was... surprised. A bit... People love it. Do they? Why? Absolutely. Watching <laughs> Casualty. <laughs> I, I, people will wait and wait and wait for... Hours and hours and hours. They I just was, want to chat. I was going to jump in on that when you said it's not an interesting place to wait. I think it's probably one of the most interesting places like to wait. I'm actually half tempted that to just go to A&E with a paper cut <laughs> and sit there and just see all the different... You know, like how I used to go to Gatwick Airport or Clapham Junction to just sit and watch people. Mm. I think going to an A&E ward... No, do I, I wouldn't be allowed on the ward, would I? Is there a ward? No, no any waiting room. Um, you'd see some fascinating people in there. In fact, I think we should go there to get some guests. <laughs> get some guests. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a live pod from A&E. Can we come around to yours now? <laughs> yeah, sure. Wait, up in up in Birmingham. <laughs> Birmingham. Birmingham. This episode is sponsored by the following wonderful people: Comedy Dave Carr, The Powerade, Aid Griffiths. Buckaroo Gracie Bucknell Ching Ching The retailer Ian Perkins Like Nicky Butterworth Wouldn't melt Up the edges It's Nathan Doyle Stairway to Kevin Roberts The Dragon William Welsh Mark Clayton Ryan Youngman And Stuart Kibble Freedom Tolly Wallace The Orient Dean Layton Double Denim Sally Wenham And the Lord of Tristan Hall to be more like all of them, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Show, become an official sponsor, and grow the show today. Right, we've had the smallest uh, insignificant <coughs> injuries. What about the most ridiculous injuries you've seen? There's been some horrific things. I've had perforated bowels because of things going up orifices. Like what? You just confirm what perforated means. I thought that was something to do with your ears. So when you perforate your eardrum, yeah. it pops, doesn't it? And ruptures and rips. and You've had pop buttholes. <laughs> bowels. Popped bowels. Yeah. That's quite high up, Fucking isn't it? hell, that's deep as fuck. Right, yeah. what sort of items is going that deep then? Um, oh, where would you like me to start? From the beginning. Okay. So I've had shampoo bottles, mm-hmm. Coke cans. Litre vodka bottle. Litre? That's smashed. <gasps> oh! Some some people are quite honest and you go, why did you do it? Oh, just did it. I'm not right, okay. But some people give really good stories and you can tell they've really thought them through. <laughs> and you don't believe them. <laughs> the guy with the toilet brush stuck up his bum gave oh. a fantastic story. What end? Uh, the handle end, so the bristles were sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> was he wearing trousers? Uh, yeah, he was wearing like uh, baggy joggers when he... I bet he was. so what's his chat when you've found this toilet brush up his ass so he said that he'd been on a night out got very drunk yeah believable come home he'd vomited missed the toilet went all over the toilet could happen so he'd chucked a load of bleach over it so the toilet seat was he just chucked a load of bleach got up in the morning forgot he'd vomited (laughs) sat on the toilet slipped on all the bleach (laughs) And landed on the toilet brush. I know you're laughing, Tom, but I think that's really plausible. <laughs> I'd say it, when you thought long and hard about it. How did you treat it? Uh, he had to go to the theatre, have it taken out. What? Why do you have to have an operation for that? I'm just there going, all right, bend over. Because it was too far up, it had perforated, it had 
popped part of his bowel as oh. and uh, it couldn't be pulled out without causing more damage so have you ever had any live animals up someone's anus <laughs> had toy dinosaurs which dinosaur was it T-Rex there's lots of different species he put up there you wouldn't want a stegosaurus like up there ones. would you <laughs> stegosaurus <laughs> you could see them all on the x-ray what would be harder <laughs> oh hang on so one person had lots of toy yeah, dinosaurs yeah, put them how up. many uh can't remember. Fucking so, more than one's enough. We can imagine them thinking they've put one toy dinosaur up their ass, and then they've gone, mm, might be room for another. And they've put another toy dinosaur up their ass, and they've gone, in for a penny. <laughs> <laughs> I had one not long ago. She'd got a um, like little bullet vibrator stuck in her vagina. Stuck in her stuck vagina? Stuck in her vagina. Yeah. Was it still buzzing <laughs> when she came in? <laughs> well, she'd been waiting a while, bless her. So when I, uh, when I triaged her, her uh, first words was like, I'm so glad the battery's died. <laughs> <laughs> How long had she been waiting and buzzing? A couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did laugh at that. I was like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> she understood. I'm so glad She's the battery's died. <laughs> I've been seeing her for a couple of hours. Uh, what Fucking what? hell. <laughs> she must be sweating. <laughs> oh my God. Shit. I'm going to have to have a little break. Tom, we need a little break because it's getting <laughs> smuttier and smuttier. <laughs> I know we've had like jokes and that is part of the show. We just love talking about shit mainly. Um, but what about the more serious side to working in Annie where you get people with serious car accidents or accidents that they've been involved in. Mm -hmm. How how do you deal with, with that? Not, I don't just mean from a practical point of view and doing your job, but to then have to go home at the end of maybe not having a successful day, how do you process that? You do have to learn to leave work at work. That's, I think, if you, if as an A&E worker, if you took everything home with you, you'd, or you'd just you'd be in a bin, you'd be an absolute mess. Um, so you do have to learn to do it. Just talk, talking about, like I tend to go home and my husband gets everything off me and he just kind of learns to sit there and listen to me now, especially if it's, you know, been a particularly young person or a particularly tough case we've had. Um, but, you know, as, a, as a, a whole, like the doctors, nurses, everyone, when you do have any death or it's a cardiac arrest or you know patient you always have a debrief which does always help especially if you're new to new to the game and you've not really seen it before or it's been quite complicated you always have a debrief and I always make sure that a debrief does happen because you, you know we have students in in working with us as well and you know, nurses that maybe not be so much experienced, might not have seen a lot, might not understand a lot. So having a debrief does help. But you have just got to learn to switch off because if you took everything home with you, you just wouldn't be, you just wouldn't do nursing. You just wouldn't work there. You'd just go into a pit of depression and never come out. You've got to have some resilience though, surely. I know yeah. you clearly have it because you're sitting there able to articulate that, yeah, it is tough, but you park it, you get home. You have your your vent to your husband, um, and then that's it. Yeah. But not everyone's capable of doing that, so you've got to be. 
no, strong enough person to carry on doing it. Yeah, there's certain things that stick with you and there's certain things you're like, there's certain cases I will always remember. I'll never forget them and still talk about them to my colleagues now. But yeah, you have, you've, you've just got to learn to to do it. Because if you, it just eats you up eventually. You won't be functional then. And every case you have in similar can trigger something off then. <sighs> and then you'll just be good for nothing. So I know COVID did that for a few people. On the, oh, is this the right use of the word here? So if I was to go conversely. Yeah, well, depending what you say next, but potentially <laughs> you're the right track, yeah. So if I say, so conversely, what what's the most rewarding part of your job? Did, hang on, did that work? Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yes! I wrote a sentence together that sounds intelligent. <laughs> Fucking, I had to ask to, if it was right, though. So there's the issue. So conversely, what's the most rewarding part of your job? Uh, so seeing people come in who are, I mean, they just look like shit and are on death's door and you flip them round. So by the time they go to the ward, they're sprightly wow. having a chat with you. You do see that quite a lot. Certain conditions that you can just flip, which is great to see, especially when they're scared and they think they're going to die. And they'll even say to you, am I dying? I'm like, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> is that as rich We're sorting you out. <laughs> so now if... Uh, people listening to this have no experience of A&E and they were to base all their experiences on one of the following two television programmes, which one would be more accurate? I'm going to give you the British Casualty or the American ER. Du, 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 du. No, that's EastEnders. So it's very EastEnders like. <laughs> if you like, you know that you can do this thing where you, a theme tune to a TV show has no words, but your brain makes you sing the TV show's name to the theme tune. How would that work for you on Casualty? Casualty. <laughs> Casualty. Because it does go bing. bing. Casualty. 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 Da da da. Casualty. Oh my God, I'm going to do it with every theme tune. Da da da. EastEnders. Da 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 da. Please ask a question. Tom, 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 Tom. To return to our original question there, Nell, which is more realistic, casualty or ER? I've never seen either of them. Oh. Sorry. Nell. Yes. I adored ER growing up. <laughs> Absolutely adored it. I was obsessed with casualty in Holby City. I couldn't believe that probably a month or two ago, Charlie mm. from Casualty is still fucking on it. Is he? Couldn't believe it. And there's still the same sort of storylines going over and over. So I, t I tell a lie. I yeah. saw the COVID episode of Casualty. Okay. Any good? Any? The only reason I watched it is because I knew the consultant that helped. Oh. Like, oh, so it is like consulted on by yeah. professionals. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So it's got to be some and sort of reality to it. Slightly. Oh. I, I, I thought, to be fair, no, I thought it was a good episode. I just didn't understand why they had all that dirt on their face. 
<laughs> we didn't have dirt on our faces. Fair point. I think they were trying to make it look like, because some people got like pressure sores on their noses from their masks. Ah, uh, yes. But it just looked like they got dirt on their face. Okay, so <laughs> when so in casualty and ER, main, a lot more in ER, maybe it's an American hospital thing, but when there's an emergency, they've got the patient on the bed mm. and there's like two either side and they're sprinting into... So the first set of doors are automatics. They just open like that. How do they open? Like, um, zzz. Yep. So both my hands are above my head going zzz, like a set of automatic doors. <laughs> Shouldn't have had to explain that. Zzz. Zzz. And then when they get in, they're going, oh, he needs um, three mils of uh, Oromorph and uh, five mils of saline and... Uh, don't ask about the toilet brush up his ass. That's not the issue here. And then they fucking sprint them through these double doors that go poof, so smash open. And then I'm like, why aren't they just sent more automatic doors? Or well, why doors? Just don't have the doors. Oh yeah, that's a better point. Let's have a arch, a quicker. So that's the American one. In the UK one, do we just blast through the doors, or are we a little bit more proper? No, pretty much just yeah. Just sprinting in. Yeah. Well, depends on the situation. So it's like a red hot emergency. There's been a car crash. There's, they're losing a lot of blood. They need three grams of saline and <laughs> five mils of uh, Oromorph. And they're going to chuck in some ketamine for for a laugh. Is Fair well. enough. <laughs> um, is it as hectic as it yeah. portrayed on the shows? I mean, yeah, it can be. If you're doing CPR whilst walking, you can't go that quickly. But logistical issues. But yeah. Yeah, pretty much. If someone needs moving, they're moved quickly. Joe, because you love those programmes, I'm going to give you a range of options. You can perform one of the tasks seen on those programmes. Um, and help me with this list, please. Now, mm. Joe, you can do the running through the doors yeah. with the trolley on wheels. You can do the dramatic pulling back of the curtain, mm. Whoosh, mm. walking in as a consultant. Yeah. Um, you can do the shouting for the saline drip. Yeah. You can do a put the... What else now? Could we stick on Joe's list for acts he could perform in A and E? Could put an IO needle in their leg. A what? A needle in their bone, in their leg. Ooh. Can't get any access. Get the IO out. Drill it in. So you get a drill. <laughs> All right. Now we got to the end. Yeah, we're getting to the end now, and then we find the real now. <laughs> She's actually watched every single saw there is. Yeah. Got hostile one, two, and three. She's just like fucking out. Yeah, I do it for the love of saving people, but actually I've got this perverse thing to put a drill in someone's leg and put a needle in it. You drill someone's leg? Yeah, you can. Well, I'm not. Oh, that's not quite the right word, but yeah, you can. If so, if you can't get a like a cannula in their arms. They've got yeah. no veins. They're shut down. Yeah. Um, you can put a, a needle into their bone and give them medication that way. They're generally unconscious when this happens oh. because they're they're that sick. They're lifeless. I would argue that you're the sicko. But... <laughs> That patient doesn't need the drip. Don't worry. He will need it after I've been there. Oh, okay. I want to do. I want to do the classic. Pull the the curtain. Nylon curtain. <laughs> Just go. Whoosh. Hello, sir. I'm here to check your obs. Oh, good. Do you yeah. use obs? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you pick up the clipboard from the toe of the bed? Don't yeah. exist anymore. You don't, don't use, use clipboard. It. What? No, it's all electronic now. Oh, so you so you've, got, to, you've got an iPad. You have to walk around with a cow. 
computer on sorry computer on wheels a, a cow. cow yeah <laughs> computer on wheels why did you explain that i just wanted the thought of <laughs> the cow. daisy the cow <laughs> ding ling 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 yeah, it's all electronic now sorry uh sister why why the fuck are you carrying a cow around the ward what's that daisy you think you've got a fracture of the love the diagnostic cow Daisy the cow playing the trumpet, is it? <laughs> Was that your attempt <laughs> as a cow? What? <laughs> <laughs> Give me a diagnostic cow then. Mm. It's more donkey-like. Mm. But then you've got to make it a diagnostic cow. Mm, broken leg. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'd like to ask a serious question. You don't have to answer it. <laughs> There's always a choice. Um, I always sit and listen to the obviously the news is a bit fucking warped at the minute because it's just run with how much of a shower of shit the political system is at the minute but we're not getting into that but a lot of noise is often made around staff shortages in the nhs and i'm like i'm s- s- so far removed from it all that i don't actually know any of the details or what is the nhs overrun is it short of staff is it what where are we at with the nhs massively short staffed massively we as a department rely heavily upon agency staff to run and that's not any kind of exaggeration that's just the reality of it we people are leaving the nhs unfortunately left right and center at the moment because it's relentless it's it's hard work and you people burn out um you know and and you can't blame them for switching over to private work or agency work because you get paid double triple sometimes what you pick up as a substantive role so you can't blame them but yeah it's massively understaffed if you could pass one piece of legislation that would most improve the situation in nhs a and e departments what would it be I don't know what the simplest answer is because it, it's so complex. Um, but it it would be to it would be to have more staff. Uh, that that's the biggie at the moment. More space, more resources to to stop people coming into A and because that's where you get long waiting times. Stop them coming in. People don't need to be in A and but they have no other choice because they can't see GPs. It, yeah, it's it's a it's it's a cascade of a lot of a lot of different things that make it awful sometimes. What you, that point you just said about not being able to see GPs? What what do you mean? Can you not see GPs? So it's it's quite common at the moment. People are struggling to see a GP, get a GP appointment. Where are the GPs gone? GPs shut their doors during COVID. Um, they didn't see patients face to face. That which you know they're protecting themselves, protecting the practice, whatever. Um, they did a lot of telephone consultations or Zoom, like GP appointments. But people really, most commonly, people come to an A&E waiting room because they can't see their GP. And they have nowhere else to go. So you can't blame them for coming in. But it that's where we have a massive knock-on effect with our waiting times. People went to see or they call ambulances because they can't see their GP. They'll call 111. 111 will send an ambulance and then you've got a whole other kind of cascade of weights that happens at the ambulance side of things as well. So it's very, it's hard to explain without me probably getting into trouble. Yeah, we and we don't want <laughs> yeah. to put you in trouble. No, it's... it's we get the general gist Yeah, you're understaffed, you're 
the, the pressure, understaffed, the pressures underpaid. That, yeah, the pressures that the ambulance service are under has a knock-on effect on us. The pressures that the hospital are under to try and get patients out of the department has a knock-on effect on A&E. There's no beds in the hospital. We can't move people through. Therefore, uh, the patient numbers go up and up and up. On a ward, you only have so many beds. You'll only ever have so many patients. A&E, people can be stuck there for days waiting for a hospital bed because there aren't any. I'm guessing part of it as well is generational that the generation coming through now or have been coming through, coming through mm. don't see working in A&E as sexy enough or well paid enough as a, as a job. To, do you know what I mean? Maybe that contributes to it and you're like, well, hang on a minute. You've just described it as being one of the most rewarding when it does go well and you're there helping people. Yeah. We, we need to encourage people to actually look at that side of things if it's paid appropriately and you're not constantly understaffed yeah I th a lot a lot of people I think like the idea of wanting to work in A&E but I think a lot of people see it as you know they they watch these tv programs and they're like oh that's amazing like you know you, you did this and you you know you, they they see like you know the the Risa side of things so the exciting things that I know it's probably not very nice to call it exciting, but that's what we call it. You know, you have an exciting case. It's an interesting yeah. case. You know, you're rushing around and, you know, you're trying to do everything you can. A lot of people see it as that. Reality, that's not what A&E is like at all. Uh, reality, A&E is a lot of elderly people that come in, so I don't know, break their hip and um, or they're struggling with their COPD or they've got, you know, these long-term conditions that have got acutely worse. So, you know, and they're, they're, they're okay. They're not, you know, dying, but you still have to obviously do a lot for them. But that's majority of what A&E is. It's not this. The, the, they are rare cases that you see that are super big sick, as we call them. They are can be quite rare, apart from the other night. It's full of them. <laughs> <laughs> Now, it's been wonderful to hear you tell us all about A&E work. Thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you for having me. Thanks, Nell. If you enjoyed the episode as much as Joe and I, and you'd like to support the show, you can subscribe three ways, Apple, Spotify, and Patreon. For a pound a week, you can get bonus content, ad-free episodes, and Joe, at the very same time, you will be... Yeah, you'll be growing the show still, so thank you. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. And if you'd like to come to our live tour, there are still some tickets available. Click the link in the episode description or search the Joe Marler Show live tour. Right, who have we got on next week? It's a TBC. A what? A TBC. Well, I need a little bit more on that. Well, you told me at the start of the year that you wanted to get a TBC on as a guest. So that's what Ryan has done. Tuberculosis copper. <laughs> I can't wait. Wow, going to town on our guests this year. <laughs> Network, a place where you belong. Sports Social Podcast Network.